and welcome to the San Diego News Fix Name Drop Edition. I'm Christy Totten. Name drops are all about the amazing people who live in our region and make it so great. My guest this week is Jody Silly. Jody is a filmmaker, entrepreneur, and educator in San Diego. She's the founder of Film Consortium San Diego and the San Diego Film Awards. She's taught film at UCSD, San Diego City College, and other institutions. Jody has produced over 100 projects, including web series, short films, TV specials, documentaries, commercial projects, and more. In this interview, we talk about her life living in Tijuana, her passion for film and what makes a great story, as well as her humble upbringing and how that shaped her. Here's our conversation. Well, Jody, thanks for joining me. It's nice to meet you. I've read many of your essays as, you know, one of our contributors in the opinion section. And I, I read you quoted recently by the New York Times about living in TJ, which is you you kind of wrote a viral essay for us about, about living there. Um, so let's start there. I mean, why, when did you first move there? Why did you move there? And, you know, what, what do you like about oh, it? Oh gosh, way back in the day. Um, well, I'm, you know, I moved to San Diego in 1999. And I started traveling, taking trips to different countries around 2001, and I got a little addicted to it. Um, and there came a point where, as a you know young 27 year old, 25, 26, 27 year old, I thought, you know, if I'm going to live in another country, I should probably do that now. Um, so I really wanted to move to Thailand. I was like, Thailand is a lovely country. I could live here, you know, and. Uh, I was at work one day and I was talking about this and one of my coworkers said to me, well, why don't you just want to live in another country? I go, yeah, I just you know, kind of want the experience while I can. And he said, well, why don't you move to TJ? And it, I had never even crossed my mind <laughs> that that was an option, you know, because we, we, we are sort of, our culture here in San Diego is very, like that wall is physical, but it's mental too. And at the time, that's something I didn't even know people did. I didn't know uh, I could do that. And he was already living down here, which is why he even mentioned it to me. So I ended up moving down um, for six months, quote unquote, in 2004. And I uh, stayed here six years. I found a phenomenal place on the beach. Um, Literally, I looked at dolphins in the ocean on my way to bed every day. And I was paying $275 a month for that apartment. Oh my gosh. So I, so I stayed there uh, for six years. Uh, funny story, actually, I'm going to back up even further. When I was leaving college, a good friend of mine said, let's move to California. What do you think? And I, and I thought, oh, yeah. I'm like, that sounds great. And another friend of ours said, oh, yeah, they, I heard they have $300 apartments on the beach. <laughs> and we're like we're going and uh yeah guess what san diego did not have 300 apartments on the beach but we all uh we all know that i found that 300 yeah you found beach. it anyway yeah i found oh. it anyway wow that's amazing i mean are you seeing more americans move down there i think you were kind of trailblazing but it seems like it's been picking up in in popularity I mean, I see a lot more Americans around me um, in my neighborhood and it kind of, yeah, I mean, I don't know specifically, you know, I don't know the numbers. I know New York Times had did the article and there's a lot of information there and they said thousands and thousands of people have moved here. Um, I don't necessarily notice that 
as much, but I, you know, I kind of have my little world that I live in, you know, I have my, my place, places that I frequent, I'll go downtown quite a bit. And, you know, perhaps in, in some of the restaurants and bars, I'll notice more Americans, but then I'll go to places where I'm literally the only American. Uh, so, you know, I think it, it has probably picked up. I'd say where I mostly see it is in the change of the uh, types of businesses that exist around me. Hmm. Um, there are so many new coffee shops in this neighborhood. It is crazy to me. There are, every block has a cop. And my neighborhood's kind of small. Imagine like, uh, like an OB, OB-sized neighborhood. Um, there's there every week we're actually constantly joking about oh, new, saw a new coffee shop open like right <laughs> next to the other new coffee shop that opened i think there's five within one block of my house it's a lot um, of coffee they put in a, a brewery next to my house a famous a tj brewery called mamut that in an empty lot uh, they put in a new restaurant in front of my house that's like a, a part of a regional chain of restaurants called Alma Verde, like sort of a vegan healthy food restaurant. There's three keto stores, stores in my neighborhood, my tiny little OB sized neighborhood. So there's just tons of things that would have never, when I first moved here, the first six years I lived, I also lived in the same neighborhood. You would have never seen any of that. You know, if it wasn't Mexican food, or something closely related to Mexican food, you know, you, it didn't exist here or it didn't live very long if they tried to open it. I remember kind of seeing new restaurants open going, but oh, that one's not going to last very long. <laughs> like it doesn't have tacos. <laughs> uh, so I think that sort of more international and uh, binational influence has opened up a lot of different uh, restaurants and bars here that I would have never never seen before never seen it never saw in the six years that I lived here yeah first time yeah that sounds very very hip and like it's changing very rapidly um well I mean what are some of the your, you know your favorite things about living there and what are the downsides oh gosh I could go on and on about my favorite things of living here see I grew up very poor so I um appreciate sort of like a working class culture I appreciate community and family oriented uh, culture and people. I appreciate small businesses being something that I can like continually uh, support and go and be, a, you know, no, I, I've seen people's kids grow up over the last 20 years, you know, at different places that I go over and over and over again. Um, I sort of just, I really appreciate the culture, uh, you know, the, the sort of brightness of it, the food, the colors, the kind of random as an outsider, um, you know, a lot of it's just like surprise. I get to be kind of continually pleasantly surprised by the things I see, the things I notice, uh, the things, the nuances of, of the, the culture here and the people, you know, the little things that, that you wouldn't notice if you didn't live in Mexico or you weren't around a Latino or Mexican culture. An example that I that I always find interesting that's so a con such a contrast to the U.S. is, you know, I'm very busy as you probably noticed by <laughs> looking at every everything that you mentioned earlier. Um, 
But if I go up to someone down here and I go, oh, I've been, you know, I've been working a lot. 100% of the time they say, Felicidad is congratulations. Mm-hmm. Whereas in America, you're like, you're going to complain, right? Oh my God, I've been working a lot. And everyone's like, oh my God, you've been working a lot. I feel so bad for you. But down here, it's like, oh, wow. Congratulations. You've been working a lot. That's awesome. So you kind of like just those little mm-hmm. nuances of, of culture and people and coming from a working class background <clears throat> of people who worked a lot. Uh, you know, I, I get it. You know, I get that the, the blessing of work and money is so valuable to, to people in an environment like the way I grew up and the way that uh, people here live, many, many people here live. So I think, uh, well, there's so much. I mean, the food, the, the fact that I get to live on the beach or next to the beach um, has been a blessing, especially during this heat wave. Um, you know, that border wall to me, I live a couple blocks from the border wall. I find it fascinating. You know, my background is sociology and film. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a sociologist and a, a filmmaker, it's a fascinating place to, to, to just see that border wall, physically see it so regularly and see all the activity around it, whether that be, uh, you know, murals being painted, uh, protests, gatherings, festivals, um, political events. Um, uh, the, then I can think of a hundred things that, that I've walked up to that wall and been like, okay, today we're doing the, the Fandango border fronteriso, you know? Uh, they do like a border Fandango every year, the Veracruz, Parocho folks. Um, you know, so there's, there's, it's never boring, you know, as someone who grew up in a small town in Vermont um, and was easily bored there. I think I, I love that, you know, there's always something new to look at. So on the positive side, plenty. I could go on and on. I probably scratch the surface of the, the reason I like being here. It's very, very affordable. The affordability takes a lot of stress out of my life. So much stress out of my life. I went and got my nails did today. Lovely. Something I could <laughs> never afford in San Diego. Yeah, that looks really good. Yeah. Well, well, what was what was your upbringing like? You mentioned the, you know, working class, Vermont. Tell me more about it. Yeah, so I grew up um, between my mom and my dad. who got divorced when I was a very young, uh, six months old. Um, my dad is a farmer. Uh, raised by farmers, raised by farmers on the family farm in West Topton, Vermont. And so I spent time with the farm family weekends and um, summers sometimes, uh, yeah, some time in the summer with that side of the family. And then my mom was like a waitress with four kids. And uh, so she was kind of struggling my whole life, um, trying to, you know, raise four kids and work a job you know one job that really probably clearly didn't based on all my memories cover the costs of raising four kids uh and we lived in like public housing so government subsidized housing in vermont so uh, there were two little neighborhoods that were government subsidized so we lived in one of them until i was 16. um so you know between the farm it was this sort of 
huge piece of land of like roaming free catching bugs and insects and frogs and climbing trees and throwing rocks and things and you know all the the sort of outdoors all the time except for meals and bedtime life and then you know with my mom it was it was similar I was a lot of outdoors a lot of neighborhood kids you know and a lot of kids in in public housing all the parents shove them outside in the morning and like come back for lunch come back for dinner come back when the sun sets like that type of upbringing so I spent a lot of time in the outdoors and I spent a lot of time uh, with a lot of other kids uh, you know neighborhood kids and then cousins and family and sisters and brothers and such hmm. yeah how do you think that has shaped you know your your own life decisions what you do today as like you said a sociologist and, and filmmaker well at age 16 I'm not sure I could, I'm allowed to call myself a sociologist. I, I did have a degree in it. Does that count? I think that um, counts. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, when I got to, so I was like the smart, the smart poor kid. So I ended up getting a, a, a basically financial aid, full scholarship to Boston College, which is a very, 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 very good school. And again, randomly ended up there because, you know, college wasn't a thing people in my family did. And I just kind of figured it out on my own by pure sort of luck and perseverance. Um, so once I, Vermont was a lovely childhood. At the age of 16, 15, you want social life. You want other people. You want boys. You want, you know, friends that aren't people you've known since you were <laughs> born. Um, so I got real antsy. And I just wanted to get out like all I wanted from age 16 to 18 was like get out of Vermont people would ask what are you doing when you graduate and I would say as a as a trained response to everyone who ever asked that question was get as far away from here as I can get <laughs> made it to Boston um I would say you know the the childhood one I, I know how to live and I, I my my lifestyle is very simple and basic like I don't need a ton of um, amenities of the world to get by you know I, I know what it's like to not have anything and I know and appreciate what it's like to have what I have um, so I think that the the getting out of Vermont so if you know anything about Vermont it is an extremely white place uh, meaning I think at the point that I grew up there 98.6 percent white so I never met a black person really until I was 19. Wow. Um, I didn't meet, we had very limited, I could hand you my yearbook. It used to be a thing we were doing in college. I'd be like, find a not white person in this whole book. And people would be like, I don't know, that person looks mixed, you know? So I wasn't exposed to a lot of diversity. So when I finally was exposed to a lot of diversity, it blew my mind. I was like, this is amazing. Like all the food, the people in Boston, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of great food. Even at BC, I had a lot of friends, you know, that were, you know, not very diverse. So I got sort of a glimpse of what it was like to not be in a small little town in Vermont. And I just kind of ran with that for many, many years. It's just the, 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 the um, my ultimate fear in life is to be bored. <laughs> so, because I grew up, you know, several years of my life were incredibly boring, how I remember it. Um, 
so I, you know, that's shaped me by being like, yeah, we don't want that. We want to do kind of the opposite of that. However, I will say now when I go back to Vermont, it kind of like there's a new attraction to it. It's so beautiful. It's so it's so relaxed and so quiet. It's so natural. It's so like simple that I think I'm almost kind of going full circle back to where yeah. I'm like, where I go stand on the farm and I'm like, this is amazing. I can do this again. You know, just kind of that, like, like, uh, reconnect the, the, the reconnection with nature, reconnection with sort of the simplicity of family and culture and, and community that those kind of smaller town communities. Yeah. But, but then I need food and then I start <laughs> getting like twitchy. Yeah, well, definitely cool, cool things about both places. But I really like what you said about, you know, your whole goal in life is trying not to be bored. I would say that is the goal that is the dream. How, how do you go about it? How do you keep things, you know, interesting? Well, I live in Tijuana, Mexico. So the world around me is never boring. Uh, there's always something random happening or interesting to keep my interest. Um, you know, surround myself with great people. Um, I have you know, with the film consortium sort of created my own job in a, in a, in a industry that is also really never boring. Like there's no project that's really the same. There's no film that's really the same. There's no group of people that you work with uh, that's really the same. So you're continually sort of learning new things and continually meeting new people and trying new projects and telling new stories. Uh, so that I think uh, helps as well. Um, and, you know, even, even, even in that, you know, sometimes I still can see boredom coming because I'm like, all right, you know, gotta, gotta, gotta break, gotta change things up a little bit. Um, maybe getting a routine sometimes, like especially the same restaurants, the same, the same restaurants, the same uh, sort of paths around so you know finding new people that or new places to go that's actually one of my big especially during the pandemic you really got locked down into limited places to go and I think coming out of that I'm really excited to to to, to try new stuff and there's a zillion new restaurants in this town that I'm just reading about that I can't wait to go to there's you know, a zillion new uh, bars and sort of uh, entertainment of uh, venues that I haven't been to yet. So, you know, just keep keep it keep it going. Yeah, keep new people bringing in new energy. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I, I of course want to ask you more about your filmmaking. You have a lot of projects here in town. You know that seek to improve San Diego's film scene. I mean, what would you say about the film scene you know overall and and how are you working to improve it and you know add to its richness well you know when I, I'm a film teacher so my main jobs are teaching at San Diego City College I've been there seven years before that I was at UCSD Extension I've taught at Platt College I've taught the Media Arts Center San Diego so I've always been a film teacher when I started the film consortium it was because I was seeing all my students come out of my classes and like literally have nowhere to go except LA. Like there just wasn't a people making even, you know, low or no budget films in San Diego. 
if they were, they were extremely disconnected from each other. So there was like really kind of all this talent, in my opinion, that was being wasted or exported. Uh, so I started the film consortium, which to that end has been wildly successful, meaning throw a rock, hit a film project. It'd be, it is very easy to get uh, a film onto a production, get experience, try something new, direct something, um, you know, try different parts, uh, try different jobs and skill sets that you might want to test out or get better at. Um, so that, that was the initial goal. I think that goal has been wildly successful. Um, the pandemic was clearly a couple of years of insecurity and, uh, but we just had our first real live event, our first big live event uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is why it was so hard to connect with you actually. Uh, we had the San Diego Film Awards, which broadcast on KPBS. And it also, we had a live event at the Museum of Photographic Arts. And, you know, my fear that, you know, all this would have to be start over from scratch kind of went away that night. You know, there was an incredible crowd. 40% of them were people I've known for the whole time of the film consortium. 60% were brand new faces I've never seen before. So I think it, it's really kind of reignited. It will be reigniting here in the next, you know, I'll say year, all the work that, that we were doing and I kind of paused by COVID. Um, I'd say what, you know, it's, it's really that, that we've contributed. We've contributed a sense of community. We've contributed a, a central uh, organization that, people can go to when they just moved to San Diego and want to meet other filmmakers or, you know, get out of school and want to get some practice and get their skill set, you know, are looking, you know, work here or live here and don't want to drive to LA for all their work. You know, I don't think you can just live off work in San Diego yet, uh, but a lot of people can at least limit uh, their uh, traveling to LA to work uh, if they're, and because there are so many more projects happening in San Diego. Um, that has been, you know, the ultimate, you know, the, not the ultimate goal, but the, the main goal of even starting it, that's been accomplished a hundred times over. You know, at the beginning, and I just said this the other day, at the beginning of all this, I remember saying, you know, the more we do this, because we held a lot of events back then, and the more we do this, you know, other people will start holding their own events and there'll be their own like uh, networking and premiere events. And that has happened, I would say, you know, especially in the last even six months, there'll be like three film events in one night and, and one of them's mine, but there's two others that aren't. So, um, you know, I think that building that sort of world of the thing with film is you, to get better film you have to make films you can't talk just sit and talk about it you can't just sit and read about it you can't just sit and watch movies and youtube about it you have to get out there and do it because there's so many pieces to it it's like there's the physical aspect there's the you know community aspect or the like team aspect networking aspect there's the like sort of mistakes that you need to learn and you can only learn them when you make them you know there's the the uh even just the rote like repeated repetition of 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 technical skills that needs to be uh practiced over and over again before you're really really good at them so that's been i'd say our biggest contribution you know my ultimate ultimate goal with the film consortium is to provide is uh is to 
is to fund projects that come from San Diego um, or create a fund uh, for projects that come from San Diego. When I say projects, I mean feature films uh, originated here, made here in San Diego and uh, distributed um, nationally or internationally. Um, or a minimum, you know, go through the film festival circuit and be successful in that realm. So ultimate goal, and we are, you know, 87, well, we'll say pre-COVID, we were 87% of the way there. I think now we're probably, you know, 71% of the way there. <laughs> we took some steps back, but a lot of relationships were solidified during COVID that I think will help us, you know, accelerate towards that ultimate vision. But even just at the end of the day, what's been accomplished so far, I'm very proud of. I'm, I look online, I'm constantly seeing pictures of people working together that I know would only have met each other and worked with each other because of the work that we've done. Uh, I see friendships and relationships flourish and blossom. And I know they were met, met and introduced at our events. So, I, you know, there's a, just a, just that alone is, is a wonderful thing to to be able to say, hey, you know, I helped make that happen. Absolutely. I mean, as an outsider, just as a film festival goer who doesn't make films or anything, it seems like the community is, is really rich. Um, I like what you said about like, there are just certain things that you can only learn by doing, you know, what have been yes. some of your biggest lessons, maybe surprising things that you're like, oh, I, I didn't even realize, uh, you know, this, this would be an issue or, or you know, just what, what have you learned by being in the industry? Oh gosh, I saw a picture of myself. Someone sent, uh, I found a picture of myself from like six years ago. I posted it and someone wrote, uh, my friend Deborah wrote, you know, so innocent or so <laughs> naive. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right. Uh, you know, I, I learned a lot from this process. One, I learned that, you know, no matter how much passion and excitement you have for something, there are people out there that are going to try and take you down for no reason other than their own misconceptions or, or jealousy or insecurity about what you're doing. Uh, that was a real hard lesson learned kind of upfront uh, for the first couple of years is, you know, that what I saw was this incredible opportunity uh, to bring our people together in San Diego and create something that did not exist yet. Other people saw it as a threat to whatever they were doing or maybe some established order of I don't know power that they had that already existed prior to me um, you know one of the I would say that was one of the biggest lessons I'd say the other thing is just um, life balance personal life balance uh, and making sure that I control my time in a way that is healthy for me. Um, this is something that still comes up to this day. And, and since I have a platform with you, I'm, gonna, I'm like, how should I tell people this? For example, just ex you know, the expectation that I'm going to work like certain times and I'm not going to work other times. And over the course of, for example, this weekend, this holiday weekend, I got six or seven maybe upwards of 10 messages from people on Facebook, Messenger, you know, emails, okay, because I'm not going to check that, but Messenger, text, phone calls about things like that 
could really wait until after the holiday weekend and you know on a sunday night the night before labor day do you really need to ask me about you know something on film freeway <laughs> when you know i think that's a that's kind of a new challenge i'm facing is really like drawing the line and saying um okay i work constantly for this okay i work constantly for this but i need time for myself i need to i need to disconnect i need to clean my house i need to walk my dogs i need to to not feel responsible and and have to be responsive 24 hours a day because that is sort of the expectation it feels like sometimes um that i'm not that i should just be like oh oh you need me to go and look this up right now on saturday afternoon like no 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 so there i said it i put it out there i was thinking of how i was going to put that out there (laughs) Um, but yeah there's a line to be healthy I need to draw the line. I've worked, I created this problem for myself. I spent the first probably six years of this, like any entrepreneur working 24 hours a day, waking up at seven o'clock in the morning, like so much work to do. But now that it's established, now that it's not going anywhere, I think redrawing, drawing those boundaries has become a a very important challenge that I I am currently facing pandemic kind of did it for you you know you're like well everything's canceled so got real quiet for a while uh but now that that's going away um i think that that those those boundaries need need to be established yeah i agree and it's so I don't know, relatable now. Yeah, especially with the pandemic, with working from home as I'm doing, you know, it's like, when does work end? Where do you draw the line? Um, so I'm, I'm working on that too. We are as a company actually, which is good. You know, don't send emails outside of work hours. That's, that's a good start. Um, yeah. Okay. I have a lightning round question or Ooh. lightning round for you. <laughs> um, apologies in advance. <laughs> okay. First question, favorite movie as a child? how child how child are we talking you get to decide you can say more than one too well uh just to embarrass myself my favorite movie as a teenager was uh the lost boys because i was in love with the entire cast of boys on the lost boys that's not embarrassing that's an amazing one it is i watched it recently still amazing nice okay film that you've seen the most times Oh gosh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> nice. Pastime that's not related to your work. Cooking. So much cooking. Ooh, what's something you've cooked recently? Well, uh, two days ago I I cooked a Uncle Roger inspired egg fried rice. Ooh. That was uh from a recipe. Uh, I'm gonna say it wrong. I'm gonna say it wrong, but uh egg fried rice made with really high-end ingredients like uh, dried scallops, dried sh- or fresh shrimp, dried shiitake mushrooms, sea cucumber, bamboo shoots. That sounds amazing. It wow, was okay. amazing. It uh, was, I made it, I made it twice. That's how amazing it was. Wow. I'm going to have to put this on the list. I think I've been sleeping on my fried rice game for sure. Um, what is something you think is overrated? can be anything. Overrated. Oh boy. Coffee coffee 
<laughs> okay, I love coffee, but do we really need they all sorts of I just think people uh I learned during business school that coffee's all marketing. Hmm. So ooh, you're Oaxacan free range organic <laughs> coffee. It pretty much tastes the same as you know, you throw some sugar and some some milk in there and some sweetener and it's going to taste the same as your mcdonald's coffee that's pe funny people really uh would rather go spend six dollars for something that sounds fancy versus you know two bucks for something that yeah, <laughs> is just coffee i i agree with you on that i mean i don't think it, i think it's not overrated in that i definitely need it but coffee oh, I at need home, it coffee at home long. is just fine you know it's what yeah, i do I need okay it every day um, what is the, your, the best thing about San Diego and the worst thing? Oh, San Diego is beautiful. San Diego, out of all the places I've traveled in the world and lived, not that many places I've lived, but um, I just think San Diego is it's like a movie set city. It is so pretty. The ocean, the, the weather, the landscaping, the down, to, you know, just sort of the skylines, the beaches. I mean, it's just a spectacularly beautiful place, like all the time in every direction. I would um, say the worst thing about San Diego is, uh, can I give two things? One, it's way too expensive. And two, I used to like beer until the beer <laughs> scene uh, turned everything into IPAs uh, that may be gone by now, but the damages are the emotional damage is already done. <laughs> so I don't drink beer anymore because of San Diego because I got traumatized too many times by really foul IPAs. <laughs> that's a that's a good one, um, and I I can totally relate. Okay, final final one is what's what's something on your bucket list? Um, you know, you, you've already done a lot, but what's something that you have yet to do? Um <laughs> in mm, bucket list. Uh I mean, there's a lot to do. I recently kind of made the decision that I well, if we'll say just personal life, I wanted to start writing more because that has been very successful with the UT. And then as something that I always hated, but decided that I'm going to give it a chance is I, I decided I want to start, I want to try acting. I want to, I want to, I want to give it a shot. Awesome. It's something I've avoided like the plague and looks really boring to me because there's a lot of sitting around. I'm not really a <laughs> sit, sitting around kind of girl. Uh, so I think stepping into acting might be good good to kind of change it up give me something new to new to try that I, I think uh maybe I'll be good at maybe I won't but all this time in film and you haven't you haven't even tried it oh I've tried it and I'm had not had a great time uh, but I but I limit what I'll do I'll say oh, you can give me like three lines and then I, that's it um, <laughs> I haven't like acted acted like I haven't played a role well by uh, choice <laughs> that's so funny uh well I mean related to writing like as a storyteller you know what kind of stories or just as a filmmaker too like what kind of stories are you attracted to what kind of stories do you want to tell I am a realism addict I think realism is the way to go I think telling real people's stories in, and uh, in ways that people that have nothing to do with that that life can immerse themselves can really understand where you're coming from uh, can learn about 
what it's like to be you, I find it fascinating. And not only is it fascinating, it is far more affordable to make than, let's say, you know, zombie alien uh, superhero movies. So I think it's far more accessible to, we'll say, uh, independent filmmakers, up and coming student filmmakers, than maybe the stuff they want to make or that inspire, you know, that they get excited about. Uh, I think telling a real story uh, based on real people is like kind of the uh, the most accessible but also most impactful types of stories to tell Mm, yeah well said um well Jody thanks for sharing so much of your time with me I I guess I just have one final question for you which is what do you what do you have going on now or next what do we have going on next um by the way you didn't finish asking me the downside of of living in tj i you know that's so funny i realized that too thank you for the reminder so if you um, want to ask that because i don't want to you know it's not all puppies and rainbows you're not trying to dodge it I'm a, well actually I, i'm having a great time i love it but i, I could see other people might be uh <laughs> a little well, uh yeah well talk to me about the downside especially um in light of the recent cartel violence where many cars were were uh, burnt in the streets yeah that was an exciting weekend for sure um I personally took it as a great weekend to stay home and work on the film awards since the film awards was coming up. Um, Well, here's the thing. The downside of TJ, if you need, I would say the downside of TJ is like the infrastructure. Infrastructure of TJ is a little rough and I'm talking sewage, uh, water, electricity. I have, everyone has all these things, but they can be easily interrupted. I don't know about if everybody has all these things, but they're all accessible. Um, but they can be easily interrupted easily. Like, we're like, oh, it's going to rain tomorrow night. We're going to lose power. You know, like there's easy sort of get to get disc or they shut the water off for 24 hours out of nowhere especially because I'm not like into all the websites where I exactly am going to know what's going to happen next with all the utilities. Uh, the roads are kind of rough. The inf- a lot of really broken down buildings. Like it's, it's that I would say would be the biggest downside. Um, I don't mind it. I grew up in similar <laughs> situations. So to me, it's like very like, you know, I, I just go with the flow. Um, but I could see that could be challenging to, to Americans and to, to people who are used to uh, different types of infrastructure lifestyle. I will say every time I go to the U.S., I'm like, the highways are so lovely. The sidewalks, si- sidewalks are underrated. <laughs> you know, just having like this safe place to walk on the side of the road. Phenomenal. Lovely. Not always a given down here. Uh, with the recent cartel violence, that's a tough one for me. One, I'll take burnt cars over mass shootings any day. Um, nobody died. And uh, two, it was very short-lived. I lived here from 2006, sorry, 2004, 2010, which was through the drug war. Um, beginning, middle, end of the drug war, which was 2007, 2008. And that was that 
but for a year and a half uh, where people were being murdered, hung off of bridges, police were fighting the drug cartels, the military was here. Um, I kind of saw that weekend coming without knowing much about what was happening because the way I see the cartel violence, I never see it. I never live it. I don't know anyone who, who directly is affected by it. But I see the police presence start clicking up and then I see the military show up and start setting up checkpoints. I'm like, uh-oh, so, something's, something bad's going to happen. And right before that, yeah, the military started seeing the military. They put checkpoint in the entrance to the na- neighborhood. They're Right now, they're patrolling this whole neighborhood and I can only imagine more in the rest of Tijuana. Um, and there's this sort of like, increased police and military presence is how I witness it and experience it. Um, Personally, I've had very limited, uh, if any interaction, negative interactions with cartels. I have nothing to do with them. They don't care about me. I'm not buying drugs. I'm not hanging out with people who are buying drugs. I'm not running around, uh, you know, with my Porsche looking like somebody who should be a target. Like I'm pretty much just not in any way, as far as I know, Hey, even on anyone's radar, you know, I do kind of have an expensive looking dog. (laughs) Oh, how cute. Is that a Yorkie? A mini, mini Yorkie. Oh my gosh. That's so cute. But she's just a street dog. She was found in the streets. So really? Wow, in San Diego, not not down here. Gotcha. So um, that, that's you know, I think I've had more. It it kind of came and went. And this is what bugs me about like kind of American perspective of, um, it came and went. But I'm gonna be hearing about that that burnt car for the next <laughs> five years. Right. Yeah. And well, I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like it sounds like, you know does does he want to get a bad bad rap you know for being a violent place we read all the time that it's the most dangerous place outside of a war an active war zone you know but it sounds like you're you're getting by just fine sure if you're a drug dealer or you know a cop or you know you're fighting the drug cartels or you know yes there's there's people who uh violence is something that's a real issue for sure uh for a girl from san diego who makes films and goes running on the beach uh it is a non-issue and i always find it funny and I'm, i'll say it to you because i say it to everybody because they'll say you know people will say to me you know do you feel safe and i look back at them and go do you feel safe in america because <laughs> i can't even go i go into stores up there now malls movie theaters and i get paranoid I start looking around, I'm looking for exits, I'm having a plan. I mean, to me, random acts of violence for no apparent reason are far scarier than drug cartel violence. Yeah, well said, I fully agree. I think when you said, um, I take a burnt car over a mass shooting any day. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Hard to hard to disagree with. Um, well, thank you for bringing me back around to that question. I did, I did forget and I, I, I'm glad I heard your answer. Um, do you want to add anything else? Any other, any, any projects you you're working on? Um, oh yeah, that was the question. I anything you want to one. plug? <laughs> what am I plugging? Plug time. <laughs> plug time. Uh, well, 
right now, you know, coming out of the San Diego Film Awards, you know, I would love, suggest anyone go on to KPBS uh, online or PBS online and look for the San Diego Film Awards 2022. The reason I, I suggest it for everybody is actually we ultimately made like almost a, like we made a feature documentary about the history of filmmaking in San Diego. So you'll learn all the films that were made in San Diego, the big films, like the, you know, the ones we all know about, Top Gun, Anchorman, Traffic. Uh, but even, you know, we go even way further back to the beginnings of film in, in San Diego. So I learned a ton making it. And if you like film and you love San Diego, you're going to learn in that show the history of film in San Diego and sort of what the current uh, generation of filmmakers is doing here um, in the films they're making in San Diego. And we shot it at the legendary Hotel Del Coronado. So uh, we have a beautiful backdrop uh, and we also, as part of it, uh, directed by Jonathan Hammond and starring some of the best actors in San Diego. We made a Some Like It Hot parody um, shot at the Hotel Del because Some Like It Hot was a, a film, 1958, I believe, made at the Hotel Del. Half the movie is shot there. So um, that's what it, uh, we just finished, but you can still go and watch. And then coming up, working on San Diego Film Week. San Diego Film Week will be happening in November. Uh, still finalizing our dates, uh, but that'll be kind of our other first live screening events that we've had since uh, you know things have become more uh, open. And as part of that, we'll be at the Museum of Photographic Arts screening films, potentially at the AMC as well in La Jolla. And we'll also be broadcasting uh, films on KPBS again as well. So there will be a lot as a, as a San Diegan, you know, if you're not one to go out to local film events, you know, you can watch a lot of what we're doing will, is starting to be broadcast on KPBS. Well, has been for a while, but we're expanding that selection of uh, productions that will be uh, screened uh, both on KPBS, the, the television channel, as well as online on a nationwide uh, channel that they gave us called FilmCon TV. So that's on PBS or every PBS station in the country. So you can watch it anywhere. So we're, 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 we're growing. We're pandemic slowed us down a little bit, but also accelerated our, what we're doing in, in, in other ways. And uh, we have phenomenal relationships with San Diego International Film Festival, uh, with San Diego or the Coronado Island Film Festival now, and uh, many, many other organizations in San Diego that are supporting our efforts. So there's my plug. Awesome. Well, that's like, that's definitely a full, full calendar. Uh, yes. I'll, yeah. I look for, I look forward to those as a PBS nerd. I'm definitely going to watch that. I'll probably watch it tonight. So thank you. But yeah, thank, thank you, Jody. Thank you for joining me and, and sharing your story. This was, this was really nice. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you again to Jody for joining me and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week.